0: The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Tricia McCannon, is a near-death experiencer, as well as a gifted clairvoyant, historian, author, and teacher who has dedicated her life to discovering and teaching the parallel wisdoms in a wide variety of spiritual traditions from east to west. As a mystical symbologist, she writes and speaks on a variety of subjects, from the quest for the philosopher's stone to the lost years of Jesus, the ancient civilization of Atlantis, to angels and extraterrestrials. Trish is the author of 13 online books, five published books, and over 30 DVDs, including Dialogues with the Angels, Return of the Divine Sophia, Jesus, the Explosive Story of the 30 Lost Years and the Ancient Mystery Religions, and her latest book, The Angelic Origins of the Soul. She's the director of the Phoenix Fire Lodge Mystery School in Atlanta, Georgia, and is an initiate of many ancient streams of knowledge, including Mystical Christianity, Christianity, Celtic, Egyptian, and Native American wisdoms, the teachings of the Viraji Masters, and the rebirth of the feminine divine in our world today. As a world-renowned clairvoyant, hypnotherapist, and healer, she has given soul readings for over 6,000 people around the world in her commitment to world healing. And she can be reached through her website at uh, uh, Trisha. CannonMcCannonspeaks.com. com. Trisha, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: Lee, thank you so much for having me on and Merry Christmas to all of our listeners.
0: Oh, yes, that's coming up faster than uh, I could hope. <laughs>
1: I <know> it always <laughs> does in December. And you know, here in Atlanta, where I'm from, we got hit with a snowstorm this weekend. So I still have half my yard covered in snow, but it is melting.
0: Yes, well, what didn't fall there came up to Maine and fell in our yard, so we're we're dealing with six inches as well.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, Maine is such a beautiful state, you know, and I, I figured you guys get a heck of a lot more snow than we do down here in the south.
0: I, oh, for sure, for sure. Um, first of all, let me say your new book um, is fascinating in the way it draws parallels to the various mystery traditions from around the world. And also, the, uh, I love Gustave Doré, and those engravings uh, that you've used in the book are just so beautiful. That he really has an understanding of the circles and the spirals, doesn't he?
1: he? He does. And, you know, for me, I, um, I am a clairvoyant, so I'm a seer, and I was an art major. I painted. I was a commercial photographer for many, many years, probably 25 years here in Atlanta, where I shot for Macy's and Calvin Klein and many people like that. So, And, of course, as a student of the great spiritual mysteries and also a teacher, they use these um, hermetic symbols uh, to convey very holographic uh, bodies of knowledge. And so, of course, if you weren't an initiate, you know, you just looked at different things and said, oh, there's an owl or there's a cross or whatever. But mm. if you were an initiate... You understood the deeper meanings behind the symbols, and so in all of my books, I try to—I uh, probably have about a hundred black and white illustrations because, of course, I'm teaching this ancient wisdom uh, stream that we've mostly lost in our society today. And I was really excited with this new book because my wonderful publisher, Inner Traditions, gave me uh, permission to do. A color folio, so we have 16 gorgeous color pages as well as all of the beautiful black and white.
0: Yeah, that's a that's that's a great addition to the to the book as well. I wanted to start by asking you um, your gifts and visions first appeared long before you had your near death experience when when you were a little girl, and I was hoping you could tell us about what you first saw and heard. I mean, when when your uh, gifts first. when you first became aware of these gifts?
1: Well, I think a lot of children actually have these gifts. I actually believe all human beings have um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, and claircognitive ability. And, of course, that comes from the French word clair, clear, and "voyant," seeing, hearing, feeling, knowing, and so forth. Um, I, um, I think many of us are tuned to those inner spiritual worlds, particularly in the first six or seven years of our life, and then, you know, we go to school and we get programmed and we start a new existence here. And there are many, many stories of, of people being able to, let us say, see past lives when they're little or remember memories from their soul records or being able to speak in foreign languages, something called xenoglossy. Uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson talks about it. But for me, I grew up across some a great forest and I think nature is one of the most powerful and beautiful teachers that we have. I spent a lot of time... After school and growing up in this forest. And, you know, when you really sink into that stillness within yourself, you can really connect with the divine, with God. And, um, I began to see in the forest these beautiful little kind of translucent elemental energies that are like the guardian angels of the, of the, of the nature kingdom. And I think because most human beings can't see them, um, they were surprised that i could see them so they obviously went and told the overlighting angel that overlit that vast forest uh that to come and talk with me and so when i was about 8 years old this uh, angel came he was you know he looked humanoid to me he had a wavy hair down to his shoulders and he began to teach me about the vast chain of being and how the light and sound of god are stepped down through the various dimensions to eventually coalesce into what we think of as the physical or material world. And, um, you know, it was a very powerful experience for me because I could tell that on one hand, he seemed far more connected to spirit, uh, like pure. I mean, he didn't have an ego self, although he certainly was an individual. But he Mm -hmm. was totally in pure service to the divine, but he did not have the complexity of subtle energy bodies that, you know, we humans have. You know, he... He didn't have the ego or the mental body or the um, emotional, astral bodies or the physical body, but he clearly, you know, had feeling, he had compassion, and he had perception, which was, uh, you know, the activation of the soul body more than the, the mental body. So, uh, you know, I, I was always pondering, you know, like, hmm, clearly, you know, there's a difference between us, and le- at least in terms of our uh, complicated layering once we become human.
0: Right. Now, you were raised a traditional Christian. Did you tell your family about this vision that you had?
1: Um, I began to write poetry uh, from these experiences or from the time I was eight, and it was like I could hear the poems in my head. I guess that's audience, and I began to write voluminous amounts of really just poetry about the divine, really, um, mm-hmm. and... My mom, you know, wanted to know where I was going after school. She was a very protective mom, and, you know, I was going to the forest, but then there was this Mm -hmm. also magical little uh, garden glade behind this old woman's house where she had obviously lovingly tended the flowers for years, and these little nature spirits were singing there. And I used to go there sometimes and sit in her garden and watch the spirits, and my mom, of course, you know, being a, a proper southern woman, wanted to be sure I wasn't trespassing. So she took me, She when she made me tell her, she took me over there and knocked on the woman's door, and we went in, and my mother had a cup of tea with the woman and asked for permission for her child to come. But, of course, you know, they did not know that I was seeing these, let us say, angelic um, beings. And it just broke the spell for me, so I never went back to that garden Again, uh-huh. at least I had the forest, so that mm-hmm. was that was good. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> so many years later, you had uh, a near-death experience. Tell us, tell us what uh, that was about, and what you saw.
1: Well, you know, there are millions of people around the world that have had NDEs, and uh, I'm only one of them. But I, I, in my second section of this new book, the Landscapes of Heaven, is that the name of that section? I really talk about those landscapes and. Um, uh, you know, I, I think because I am a clairvoyant, I've had the ability to pull the curtain back my whole life um, uh, more with control as I got older. But I certainly did not expect to have a near-death experience. And I remember reading about Daniel Brinkley's, who's a friend of mine a few years earlier and thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have a near-death experience? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the actuality of the, the logistics. You know, I was in the hospital for a month. It was a $40,000 bill. Oh, my gosh, you know, the third-dimensional world. But the experience itself was so profound. It was really life-changing. I found myself in this, um, like, round-domed chamber, very ethereal with light, and there were these five human... Looking humanoid beings that were, uh, you couldn't see any features. They were just radiant white and gold light. And they completely flooded me with unconditional love. And they were arrayed kind of in a semicircle and they seemed to kind of be above me, you know, kind of like a, like not a, I never saw a deus or anything, but if you can imagine, like a panel of, you know, the lords of karma. Um, and, you know, there was no judgment at all. There was unconditional love, and they said, We really see you, and we honor you for all the thousands of people that you have helped. And, of course, you know, I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm a healer. I'm a clairvoyant, an astrologer, and many things. And, of course, I go out and speak and teach to people. So that was a really profoundly healing experience for me because in my family of origin, and I have, you know, two sisters and a wonderful mother, and they're all... Um, I think, devoted to God in their own way, but much more within the very, very traditional, at least some of them, narrow Christian confines. So, you know, I had never really felt accepted in or seen or, let us say, appreciated in this way by my family. So it was very healing for me. And I said to them, you know, I'm um, I'm really tired. I'd really like to come home now. And uh they said, well, hmm, you know, how about all those thousands of souls that you said that you would help, that if you come home now, you won't be able to help. And I saw then many things. I saw that we each come into this world with a contract, and that if we renege on that contract, if we commit suicide or we throw in the towel early or we don't, you know, allow ourselves to overcome the many challenges that we all face coming into this lifetime, Afterwards, we'll feel very, very disappointed with ourselves. Like somehow, you know, we just did not, you know, muster up the energy or the courage or the determination to do what we knew we could do before we came in. And I also saw that in heaven, the gold, G-O-L-D, the real gold of heaven is the purity of your heart. It's who you help and who helps you. It's who you love and who loves you. What good did your passing through this world do? And that is what really, really matters. What did you learn? And how did you help others along the way? And of course, a lot of our listeners, I think, probably are people who, who are very dedicated to helping others. And it could be as a teacher or a fireman or a policeman or a housewife or a, um, a, a writer or a... Um, a doctor or a nurse, I mean, there's so many different ways, even just helping someone across the street or helping them with their groceries. There are many, many ways in which we can serve, but at the end of the day, that is the measure of a life. It's not how much money we make and it's not how big our car is or our bank account.
0: Right. The complexity, uh, w- one of the great features of your book um, is the c- the complexity of all the various religions you seem to find parallels and and um uh that that all religions the mystery side of all religions tell the same story although in different language um and and there there's a lot of detail <laughs> so much detail that I haven't finished the book yet and I I'm hoping you'll come back and we'll talk about the second half of the book but for instance in the landscapes of heaven uh area you talk about the various levels of, of heaven, the astral and so forth. And um, St. Paul talked about go, having a near-death experience and going to the third heaven. Perhaps you could elaborate a little bit on on those various levels, the, the landscapes of heaven portion of your book.
1: Well, first I want to say um, about your first part of your comment, is that within the world religion. There was always an exoteric or an outer path that taught morality, and then there was a deeper path, an esoteric path, that really taught the true keys to being able to access the inner realms. And so at the exoteric level, we have a lot of ritual and dogma and things like that, and people who are maybe well-intentioned, but they really are not enlightened, and so consequently they do their very best within the rigid confines of the various religions, so on the surface they might appear to not agree. But if you go into the deeper inner teachings, the esoteric teachings, all of the masters and all of the sages basically agree with one another. And that's what I seek to teach in all of my books and all of my work is to show how the inner esoteric wisdom unites us instead of divides us. And so in and to response to the second part of your comment or question, yeah, the ancient teachings tell us that there are basically seven dimensional planes in the lower realms. The lower realms are realms that are bound to the grid of space-time. And in our dimension, we have 48 laws of physics that must be obeyed unless you, let's say, are a real master and you have learned how to transcend those and of course if you have you might be able to levitate or you know do like the filipino healers which are, where you put your hand through people's bodies to repair them uh or you know use your telepathy or walk through walls or some of the many things we hear sages from uh the east have been able to do um the the plane above this one the astral plane has 24 laws So some of the things we think of as magic down here are business as usual up there because they're not as constricted. The fifth dimensional world, some call it the Atma plane or the mental plane, that plane has only 12 laws that must be obeyed. The sixth dimensional plane has only six, and the seventh dimensional plane has only three laws. So obviously there's more freedom. We can fly, for example, in the fourth dimension. Telepathy is normal. We can be downloaded with ideas that would take us hours to talk about with words, but we can literally receive it in a minute or two, in an instant. And, of course, angels, actually, although they may be stationed in the third and fourth and fifth dimension, they're basically beings that are anchored in the sixth and seventh dimension. So this is how they're able to appear, disappear, manifest, become solid, become, um, you know, a serial um, communicate information telepathically and so forth. And when we, you know, think about some of the great masters that have been on this plane, you know, they have graduated, of course. Um, they did, many of them didn't even have to come down here. They already were highly enlightened beings, but they volunteered to come down to deliver a message to uplift humanity. People like Jesus, I mean, what an incredible soul he is. And this is one of the reasons, of course, I've written about him in a lot of my books, is because I really love him. But um, these masters, many of them are stationed in the fifth dimension or the fourth. Usually, once a teacher goes on into the sixth or seventh dimension, they're really not so concerned with the affairs of the third dimensional realm. But there are many great masters and avatars that are in the fourth and fifth dimension that are, let us say, overseeing temples of golden wisdom or acting as lords of karma or as lipkas, or the great chohans, for example, of the seven rays of healing and so forth. There are many jobs to do, and all of them are really focused on trying to raise the consciousness of the souls that are down here in the third dimension, whether it's on this planet or another planet.
0: When some people uh, have had um, profound near-death experiences, they come back uh, saying, for one thing, that they... While they were there, they felt they had the answer to every question they ever wondered about. And two, that, uh, that the answer to everything is, is love and God's love. So why are there so many different levels and why even when you're uh, on one level, you're still studying to, to reach the next level? Why, why is that knowledge not available immediately?
1: Well, I think that all of us come from the higher world and this is what I've seen in the, 6,000 plus soul readings that I've done for people around the world you know 30 years ago I was only going back three four five thousand years in people's history then I made a leap to where I was going back 20 30 40 50 thousand years and I found myself in earlier uh, ages let's say of the planet earth the time of Atlantis or Lemuria and then you know I'd start asking where was the soul before that and eventually By pulling the vibrational thread, the unique vibration of every single soul, because every soul is unique, I began to travel and follow the souls up into the fourth, and then the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh dimension. Eventually, I came to what I would call the Genesis Matrix, and what I discovered is that basically, you know, God is, let us say, the infinite creative intelligence of all all things. We're swimming in the body of God, so to speak, but each of us has the spark of God within us, you know. um, the spirit of life is given to us from that spark of God. And we do take a journey, as you know, you'll know, you discover in the third section when you get into that, we take a, a journey from, let us say, the plenum or the ocean of love and mercy, which is what the masters call it, where we come down into the seventh and the sixth and the fifth and the fourth and eventually the third. And in every dimension, in order to participate in that dimension, we have to take on a body. So like, just like here in the third dimension, if you didn't have a third dimensional body, you might be a ghost, but nobody could see you, and you sure couldn't go out to dinner with your friends, you know,
0: <laughs> or
1: at least they wouldn't be talking to you if you did. So in the in the seventh dimension, we take on a soul body. In the sixth dimension, we take on a spiritual, aceric, or buddhic body. It's also called a rainbow body. And uh, in those levels, we're able to hear the music of the spheres all the time. We know where to go, what to do, how to serve, and we don't have an ego, but we are building experience and individuation and our co-creative skills. God, of course, is the ultimate creator, so we have that creative spark within us, and of course, the whole idea is we learn to become positive co-creators instead of creating chaos, mayhem, and war, you know, and so we're all still working on that lesson as a planet and then eventually we come into the fifth dimension where we get a causal body which records everything that happens. That body remains uh, consistent through all of our lifetimes in the third and fourth. And it's also called by the masters the store of good. It's where all of our soul records are kept, the library of all of our experiences. And once we become enlightened, that store of good is released to us. And this is why you have, as people become more and more enlightened, You know, you have people who are masterful. They can sing, they can act, they can dance, they can paint, they can write. They can do all these incredible things because through the centuries they've developed these gifts and abilities. We also have the mental body, which is a beautiful, refined body, but definitely more limited than the soul body. It can only do about three or four things at once. And then we get the ego. And then that becomes a a very complex conversation about the, the mechanism of the ego and why it's important, but also why embedded within it are what are called the three Lives of Adi or first karma. In other words, these are not um, illusionary beliefs that we developed ourselves to begin with. They give us one of these in order to allow us to experience free will. And with the, you know, um, let us say receiving of that ego, with that first belief that we're separate from God, you know, we realize that um, we have a choice. We have lots of, lots of choices. And so with that, we descend into the third and fourth dimension. And it really has to do with, let us say, God. We can sort of look at like a cosmic game of hide and seek where the lover is seeking the beloved and the beloved is seeking the lover. In other words, you know, just like we want to love and be loved, we want to know and be known, so yes. God. Not through someone forcing uh, someone to marry you or love you, but through the free will and having our hearts and minds and spirits turn towards the beloved. And, of course, the beloved is ever with us, ever patient, watching our slower, fast progress, our mistakes and loving us through all of them. But in the end of the day, it must be our own choice to come back to choosing to align with the light of all light. Mm.
0: You've written that the eternal part of us remains in heaven while we are down here in physical reality. How does that work?
1: Well, you know, that was one of my big takeaways. Whenever I write these books there's a team of spiritual masters and beings that are in my house for the year or the three years or whatever it is it takes for me to give birth to one of these books. And, you know, I think I, you know, know where I'm going with the book, but in the writing of it, there's no chemical process. And for for me in this particular book, it was one of the big takeaways really had to do with the discovery of the angelic twin, and the angelic twin is a concept we find in the Essenes, in the Gnostics, uh, and also in the, in the Tibetan teachings, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, again, the esoteric teachings. And that is basically this radiant angelic being that we actually are, even though we have amnesia, we've completely forgotten. This radiant being in its, let us say, causal self, and above remains in the higher world. And that it chooses through, for experience to extend a portion of itself, maybe 20, 30, 40% of itself into the third dimension in order to ha- gain experience. And many times it chooses to take on. Um, challenges that he, once we get here in the physical, we're like, what the hell? You know, I don't <laughs> gonna, why, I, why am I born in this family? You know,
0: <laughs> yes,
1: I'm, I'm doorstep, you know, you know, why don't we have some money? How come I'm not as pretty as I thought I should be? You know, how come <laughs> I'm, you know, what, what, how about those rich kids? How did they get that lottery number? And I got this one, but at hmm. that higher level, we are able to see what we need to learn. You know, as they say, if you want courage, you're given challenges to overcome. You want forgiveness, you've got to be given people to forgive. So at that higher level, we can see very clearly at the soul level what we need. And even though it might feel like a bitter pill down here, at that higher level, we know that 50, 80, 100 years down here, if we can put in the time, that it will strengthen us and deepen us at a level that an easy life never would. So we choose these challenges with our team, with our guides, with the lords of karma who are able to reveal to us, along with our own angelic twin who, of course, is who we truly are in the enlightened state. So part of what the sacred marriages that Jesus talks about, and I speak about this in each one of my books at a different level. You know, in one book I talk about it as the marriage of the masculine, feminine, the left and the right hemispheres of the brain that opens the third eye and allows us to pull back the veils. I talk about it that way in Return of the Divine Sophia. In this book, I talk about it as the marriage of the mortal self and the higher self, the angelic twin. And this is, again, a sacred ceremony that, believe it or not, was being done in the Catholic Church. Uh, You know, we hear very little about it because, of course, Unfortunately, some of these mm, institutions that started off with the best aims and the best intentions kind of have lost their way through politics and power and greed and all that stuff through the years. And so, you know, seeing a return to some of these inner teachings is great. I just wish they would release them more for the masses to be able to do this, not just some of the clergy.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I wish all religions would... uh, acknowledge and honor the the um the experiences the personal mystical experiences that uh, almost everyone is encounters from you know at some point in their lives
1: we are just
0: we I are just agree, about completely. <laughs> out of time and i want to give you time to uh tell people um how uh they can get your books and find out more about your um your um mystery school
1: Uh, very easy. You know, you can, uh, um, go to my website, Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, just like, you know, Patricia with no P-A. Tricia, and then just like it sounds, M-C-C-A-N-N-O-N, speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. And you'll find I've got about 30 DVDs there, about 10 CDs. These are all really professionally done, and many of them are about the great spiritual mysteries, the Tree of Life, you know the cycles of time and so forth. I also have um, for the last twelve years, I've been teaching a mystery school here in Atlanta that of course combines beautiful esoteric Christianity with a lot of the great spiritual mysteries from Egypt, the Druids, the Native Americans, the Tibetans, all of that because at the end of the day they do resolve and agree with one another. So I finally, about three years ago, got twelve online classes up online. so, you can just, you know, go to the, the little tab says Mysteries. There's a drop-down, and you can take a look at every single one of those classes that are about 100 to 180 pages each with props uh-huh. and exercises. They can just, you know, start at the beginning and study one at a time, or if you order the first three or the second three or third three together, you know, it saves you about $75, so that's great. Um, and sure. my book's sure. my books online, or you can even go to Amazon if you want to, or go to your local bookstore and, and ask
0: um uh, <clears throat> Tricia, we have barely scratched the surface if you'll come back again soon, we'll pick up where we left off I really and in the me- look
1: forward to it, Lee
0: in the meantime um uh, I want to thank our guest Tricia McCannon for sharing the story of her amazing productive spiritual research with us today and if you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org For information on IANS, check out their website at IANDS.org. And join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.